Well, thank you to the worship team for leading us so well this morning. Uh, as we, just before we get into our teaching time, I, I feel like I should mention this, that right now we, there's a senior high retreat happening uh, at the BIC Senior High Retreat up at Camp Kakwa, and we have nine of our students and four fearless leaders who are with them this weekend. And so uh, as you are thinking about them this afternoon when they make the return trip, we're praying for safety and that the lessons and the relationships that have taken place over the course of the last couple of days would be ones that stick and, uh, and find meaning even as the week goes on as they come home. A number of years ago now, uh, Michelle and I went on a vacation to Quebec City. We, we stayed just outside of the old part of Quebec City. And while we were there, as you do in Quebec City, you see a lot of old buildings. Like, it, it was fantastic. I loved it because I love walking through in and out of old buildings. My wife, I think, liked it, but not nearly as much as I did because I dragged her to every Catholic cathedral and chapel that I could find. And there's a lot of them. I think for most normal people, you'd say, like, once you've seen three, you're good. Uh, I, no, I wanted to see them all. And we saw big ones. We saw big, beautiful cathedrals. We saw these small, like, intimate chapels. There was even one with a boat hanging from the ceiling. Some of you guys have been there. You walk in, and you're like, that's a boat, and it's right there. And it was wonderful. Like, I, I loved it. I soaked it in. But as I was walking around in, the, in, the, in this, these tours, I found myself reflecting on what, what I was walking through, you know, at one point, this was a vi- these were vibrant places of worship, and now they were more, more often than not tourist destinations, more tourist destinations than they were places of worship. Yeah, there were still services that happened there, but, but what happened in there now, was happening there now wasn't what it used to be. In fact, that kind of illustrates a shift that happened in Quebec society. That, you know, the stats say that in 1958, 75% of the population of Quebec attended Catholic Mass weekly. 75%. By 1975, it was down to 31%. That's a pretty dramatic change. And that period of decline has been called the Quiet Revolution, and it illustrates a move that happened in that province from the church being central in society to increased secularization. Now, what happened in Quebec is its own phenomenon, but it's also indicative of a shift that's happened in Canadian society. It's happened in Western society over the past 100 or so years. You know, at one point, Christianity and the church was central to life and society, having significant influence over people's lives, over institutions, over politics, over policies, over generally accepted morality. But now we recognize that that's not the case. What was isn't what is. At best, Christianity is just another voice in the fabric of society. And even though most of us do not have the lived experience of, of knowing what it was like to, for the church to play such a central role in society, there is a memory of sorts of a different time that can cause us to mo- cause some people to, to, to yearn for those good old days, whatever those good old days were. And I will say, whenever we yearn for the good old days, they probably weren't as good as we actually thought they were, but we still find ourselves yearning to go back. But the reality is, is we can't go back. Instead, we need to learn how to, how to live faithfully in the times that we currently live in. And so a question that we might find ourselves asking is, how do we as followers of Jesus engage a society who doesn't understand or support our story as followers of Jesus? How, how do we as followers of, of Jesus live in an engaged society in the time and the place that we live? 
And in many ways, this is the connection to 1 Peter. And we've been working through 1 Peter this spring. And by way of reminder, 1 Peter is written in the first century to, to a group of followers of Jesus who are minorities in their various communities as they lived in the area that we know as modern-day Turkey. And what Peter is trying to do is to help them discover what does it mean to follow Jesus despite the fact that those around them don't support their faith and even at times are working really hard to make their lives hard and difficult. And so as we look at what Peter says to these folks, I think that there are some ideas and some principles that can help us figure out what would be an approach for us to engage these times in the society in which we live in today. And so this morning, our, our reading is going to come from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 to 16. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing." For whoever would love life and see good deeds must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The big idea that we're going to explore this morning is that as followers of Jesus, we can engage our world by pursuing peace. As followers of Jesus, we can engage our world by pursuing peace. And this big idea comes from what Peter says in verse 11, which is actually a quote from Psalm chapter 34. And Peter says, seek peace and pursue it. Now, in our house, there are quite a few items that seem to go missing with regularity. Things like water bottles, hats, electronic devices. On a daily basis, they go missing and nobody seems to know where they are. And so it seems that on a regular basis, we have to go on a hunt of sorts looking for these lost items. Items, by the way, that I will say I have never lost personally, but people on, in my household have lost them and thus I have to go on a search for them. That sort of seem how, seems to be how it goes. And so we go looking underneath pieces of furniture, we look in backpacks, we look in rooms that people are sure that they've never ever been to in their entire lives before, we go searching. The whole house gets torn upside down looking for the object until we find the object that we are looking for. And in a sense, this is the imagery that Peter is using in reference to this seeking or pursuing of peace. That just like we might have to go on a hunt to find a favorite item that has become lost, we likewise need to go on a hunt to, to pursue and find peace. And in what Peter is saying here is he's not suggesting that if we just sit back and relax and wait that peace comes and finds us. No, there's an active part where we need to go do the work to find it. And a part of what it means to find peace is that we need to learn the habits of peace because in a way they don't come natural. 
You know, in fact, what, what, when we look around us, what we see that comes naturally is animosity. That's normal. Animosity is normal. Holding grudges is normal. Seeing people who don't agree with us on a particular issue as enemies, that is normal. Uh, lashing out at somebody who's offended us, that is normal. But as Christians, we're, we're called to do life differently. But because we're different, we might find that we are ridiculed and mocked. And the temptation in those moments is to retaliate and to ridicule and mock in return. And when that happens, we actually lose our distinctiveness. We lose our ability to be different, and we just kind of blend in. And so this learning of the ways of peace is important. And not just because it points people to Jesus, but as we learn these ways of peace, we are actually growing in our identity and our belonging to God. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who, who go and they, they bring peace into existence in places of animosity where peace is lacking. Blessed are you who do this because they will be children of God. In pursuing peace, there's something about embracing and, and, and putting on our identity as God's children that happens when we pursue peace. Now think about a time when you tried to implement a new habit or you're trying to learn a new habit. It could be anything, really. You know, it could be a decision that you wanted to eat better or maybe you wanted to incorporate more exercise into your daily routine or maybe you identified something that was going on in your life that just really wasn't a good thing and you wanted to put an end to that. How easy was it to make that change? How easy was it to make that change? I mean, the reality is that learning new habits can be really hard. And it's hard, not just because we are learning new patterns, but in the process, we're often unlearning things that has just become a part of who we are. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know what, I need to eat better. But that time that you go to a restaurant with a group of friends, and you say, you know, the waiter says, what do you want as your side? You have a choice, don't you? Are you going to order the salad like you said you were? Or are you going to order the French fries smothered in gravy? You're like, French fries smothered in gravy. I know what you're getting. Yeah. It's easier said than done, right? To, you know, implementing a new habit takes work. You know, when it comes to, to learning the ways of peace, we need to realize that it, it's going to be work. It will require that we learn new habits, that we learn new responses and new patterns, and that we actually have to unlearn some of the things that have just become embedded in us. And so that leads us to our first point this morning, that we learn the way of peace alongside other followers of Jesus. In verse 8, Peter instructs his readers to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble towards one another. And the one another in this passage are other followers of Jesus. And so what Peter is describing here is what a relationship between followers of Jesus, what a relationship in a setting like this ought to look like. You know, it looks like being in harmony. It looks like working together. It looks like entering into the experience of other people with the good stuff and the not-so-good stuff, the joys and the sorrows. It looks like unconditional love when love is hard. It, it looks like having actual feelings of concern and doing something to meet the needs of others. It, it looks like it, not thinking that we are somehow better than the people around us. And this approach to relationships, it doesn't come easy. It's not easy. But it's something that should come about a little bit more easily when we are in relationship with people with whom we have some things in common with. And for us, it's, you know, we have things in common with other followers of Jesus who together we are being made new by the work of the Holy Spirit in us to make us new people who look more and more like Jesus each and every day. Sure, we might not get it right all the time, 
but together we can learn and apply new habits and we can learn and apply these ways of Jesus' peace. You know, one of the things that can cause people to be skeptical about religion and Christianity is legalism. And what we mean by legalism is that there's somehow this idea that somehow in order to please God that we need to do this list of things and we need to jump through the appropriate hoops and maybe we don't do this list of other things. And one of the things that can feel legalistic is the idea that, that church attendance is a requirement to, to being a Christian and follow Jesus. And you know, on the one hand, I really get that skepticism. I mean, when we equate being a Christian with whether or not we attend a certain number of church services or not, we are missing out what it means. We are missing out on the idea of what it means to actually follow Jesus with all of our lives. That said, we ought to, at the same time, recognize that following Jesus has never been an individual effort. Yes, you and I have to make our decision to follow Jesus on our own, but we have been designed to be at our best when we are in community with other followers of Jesus. We've been designed to be at our best as people as when we're in community. We've been designed to be at our best as followers of Jesus when we have other followers of Jesus that we get to spend time with and who are not just teaching us things about Jesus, they aren't just teaching us knowledge, but they're helping us apply the things that we know to our real everyday lives and they are encouraging us to keep going when things get hard. And so our pursuit of peace ought to include our connection with other followers of Jesus. And our connections here can be a part of that. And we gather not just, we gather in places like this and with other followers of Jesus, not just for what we can get out of it. That's one thing, you know, often we're like, I don't get anything out of this. Well, it's not just about me. It's about the people that I'm sitting beside. That together, you know, we are on a journey. That we are present in these moments, not just for us, but for the people who are sitting beside us, to be people of encouragement, to be cheering one another on, to be examples perhaps, or to, to look up and see somebody who's further ahead of us that we can say, oh, that's how you do that. See, together we are being transformed into, into people who can engage this world with, with the peace of Jesus. And we need one another for this. And with that in mind, we move into our second point. That we apply the way of peace by choosing to bless others. You know, what we do in these relationships with other followers of Jesus are tremendously important. But it's never actually supposed to be the end game. Rather, Peter is coaching his readers to understand that they are to take what they have practiced and what they have learned within the safety of the community of the church and they are to apply it more broadly to, to those who might be keen on making their lives more difficult. You know, what seems normal for people like us, for you and for me, is to seek vengeance or some sort of uh, revenge when somebody insults us or causes us harm, right? That seems to be a default response for some of us. In the ancient world, private revenge was very common to the point that lawgivers had to, had to insist that the response had to be equal to the original offense. This is where you get the old eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing. You know, it was permissible. Somebody knocked your tooth out, then okay, knock his tooth out too. But you can't go any further. That was the boundary to set a limitations on what could be done. But in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we see Jesus understanding that, but recognizing that that pattern never ends cycles of violence and animosity. Rather, it keeps it going. Rather, Jesus points his followers in a new direction, which provides them an, a way to end cycles of violence. And I think that, that Peter has Jesus' teaching in mind in this passage. That followers of Jesus are to choose a, a different way of responding to the animosity that we may experience. 
that the way of peace that we learn, ways of peace that we learn and we practice together uh, are become so ingrained in us that when we experience uh, and interact people who might not be so friendly, that we recognize that there's another way to respond. That instead of participating in cycles of animosity, which, by the way, just causes us to blend in with everybody else, we intentionally find ways to respond to evil with blessing. You know, blessing, it's a way of actively offering something positive and something life-giving to somebody else. Perhaps it's a word of affirmation. Perhaps it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's an act of kindness. Maybe it's the refusal to hold a grudge. Maybe it's the hard work of forgiveness. You know, circumstances will, will dictate the particularities of a, of a response. But it's a decision to say that instead of matching what you have dished out to me, that I'm going to go a different way, that I'm going to respond with goodness and love that reflects the generosity and love of God. You know, there's something about driving in traffic that gets some of us riled up, isn't there? You know, there we are, minding our own business when this other vehicle comes flying up beside us and suddenly cuts into the lane right in front of us. And, ugh, right, this happened to me not too long ago, and the words coming out of my mouth were not pleasant. You idiot is what came out, like, just instinctually, just happened, right? And, of course, you say things in the safety of your car that you would never say to somebody in real life, right? Because, you know, it's a bubble of protection. So people say all sorts of things in their car that you'd never say in real life. You're laughing because, I, you know, I thank you for that. It makes me feel like I'm not alone. Um, but in a strange way, these moments can remind us that our default what our default tendencies so often are. Now, you might be thinking, well, come on, man, like, this is just a moment in a car. How big of a deal is this? And, you know, it's really maybe not that big of a deal. But at the same time, we ought to remember the things that we say, the things that come out of our mouths are part of how we pursue peace. And our third and our final point this morning is that we practice peace when we are careful in our speech. You know, Peter is counseling his readers about how they are to engage their world, and he wants them to understand that the things that come out of their mouth matter, and they are part of how they practice peace. And we see this in how Peter uses Psalm 34 again. He quotes this, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. In other words, the things that we say matter, and followers of Jesus are to be in control of what comes out of our mouths, not allowing the animosity and the vitriol and the anger and the rage that just generally accepted in our society become characteristic of how we talk. You know, we know words can cause harm. We've experienced that. People have caused us harm with their words. And so as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to go in a different way. And to allow the life and the love of Jesus to flow out of our mouths in how we speak and into the relationships that we have with other people. A few years ago, during an election cycle, I emailed all the candidates in, in our riding and I asked them some questions about the policies. And I snuck in an extra question here where I asked them, can you tell me one good thing about another policy, another candidate's policy? Just one good thing. Unsurprisingly, I got very few responses to that because that doesn't fit into the paradigm of how politics and life is done here. But I did get one. One candidate dared to tell me one good thing about an opposing party's platform. 
And I'll tell you, that, that made me lean, for, lean in. I wanted to know more about that candidate. I actually think I voted for that candidate in that election based on the fact that they said something nice about somebody else instead of dividing into the us versus them, them rhetoric patterns. See, that moment of positivity made me want to know more because it stood out as being so different. You know, the result of being people of peace in our actions and in our speech is that we might find ourselves with people leaning in and wanting to know more. Peter says in verse 15 that we need to be ready for this, that we are to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, I've always loved how Peter phrases this because it's not talking about having, you know, it all figured out. You know, you're not supposed to have, you don't need to have all the answers about everything to do about life, about spirituality, about the Bibles, you, Bible. You don't need to have all those answers. Rather, you just need to be prepared to give the reason why Jesus is compelling for you on a personal level. And even in this, how we talk matters because Peter says, do so with gentleness and with respect. Not Bible-thumping, not judgmental, not in a condescending manner, but gently and respectfully. You know, there were many people in that first century who were slandering the reputation of Christians in Peter's day. And Peter says, hey, don't give them any more ammunition in how you talk. You know, in fact, the way you respond in those moments is a way that will help them see the error of what they've been saying about you. How you talk matters. Not long ago, I read a, a news article about a, a situation in a small town here in Ontario where business owners wanted to open their businesses on Sundays, but they didn't feel they could do so as, the, as a result of the influence of a local church. And the story went on to talk about how, despite the fact that Sunday shopping has been permissible across Ontario for quite some time now, that store owners in this small town who attempted to open their stores were very, much, uh, very often visited by the pastor of this local church and told them that they should close or face the consequences um, with the idea that the church would organize some sort of boycott and they might, have to go out of, they might end up going out of business if they dared defy this church. Now, as much as I, I'm sure that this church feels like they are acting out sincere convictions, you can imagine that the tone of this article was not positive. Their actions were seen as bullying and entitled and as a church, you know, they, they thought it was their right and their responsibility to make other people conform to their beliefs, even if other people weren't, you know, on the same page as them. You know, this is an example of a church acting as though it continues to have the influence that it once did in society. And now society is pushing back because it doesn't share the same beliefs, the same convictions, the same practices, the story that this church, the story of this church. And the result is... Because the church is, de is determined to go in this direction, their reputation is being tarnished in this community. You know, as, as Christians, we need to continually discover and rediscover our position in society. And I'm going to suggest that we need to pay attention to what Peter says in this passage as a way to guide us. He doesn't say that we should avoid conversations about spirituality or religion. Rather, he says, be ready to talk about it. Lean into it when the opportunity arises. But the way that you do it matters. With gentleness and respect, he says. And so the question is, what does that look like? And I'm going to suggest to, to us this morning that, that one of the key ways that we can act with gentleness and respect is by becoming people who are experts of, at, at listening to those around us. Why? Well, because listening conveys humility. 
It communicates an understanding that perhaps we don't have all the answers and the person sitting across from us or that group sitting across from us might have something to contribute that we might be able to learn something from. Listening builds trust and it helps others feel valued. Listening builds strong relationships that can help navigate those hard, awkward conversations that will happen in any relationship. Listening prevents misunderstandings and keeps us from jumping to conclusions. It helps us to discern what is really going on in a relationship, what is really going on in in a conversation, and it helps us determine what is the appropriate response to, 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 to what we are hearing, what we are experiencing. And when we show that we are actually listening to somebody, it creates an opportunity for us to be heard in return. You know, the reality is that in our society, we have a problem listening. We, we don't listen well. And in fact, in so many of our conversations, this might have happened in the foyer this morning too, and I'm not casting stones because I'm, I'm to blame for this too. We aren't actually listening when people are talking to us. What, what's going on in our minds is we're trying to think about what we are going to say in response. How can I impress that person? How can I maybe disagree with them? Like they said something I disagree with. What's my point? How am I going to debate them in this moment? You know, what, what do I want them to hear from me? We, we often aren't listening because we're, we're trying to figure out what we're going to say. And that's problematic. Because in this cycle, nobody feels heard, which results in misunderstanding. It re- results in conflict. It results in animosity. But listening changes things, and it's a countercultural act that will stand out and help us engage others with gentleness and respect. And so, like, a, a quick hint on, on listening is actually to allow yourself the space to not feel like you have to say something right away. To actually allow yourself the space to, to listen and to hear what other people are saying and to, and to tell your brain, it's okay, you don't have to talk. We are conditioned to feel like we have to fill every space. We don't have to do that. We can take a breather. When we learn to do this, this is one way that we can engage our, our, our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with society as a whole, with gentleness and respect. And we can be bringing the peace of God into our relationships, into these places. You know, discovering how to engage the world as followers of Jesus is, is not easy. In fact, it can very much easily feel overwhelming. You know, there's so much going on in our world. There's so much change that is happening. There's so many things that, that can seem like they are going counter to the ways of Jesus. And so the question that we often ask ourselves is, what am I supposed to do? And I wonder if maybe that's a part of the problem. You know, often we find ourselves thinking in terms of, of us needing to come up with strategies or, or solutions, and maybe that's a part of the problem because we are putting the onus on ourselves here. But the closing song that we are going to sing this morning invites us to instead turn ourselves around and to offer ourselves to Jesus again and again and again, realizing that it's Jesus at work in us, creating something new and something that is vibrant in ways that we wouldn't have been able to imagine previously. And it's through Jesus that we will, we will learn how to engage the world around us. And so as we sing uh, together this morning, uh, may we find ourselves saying to, saying to Jesus, maybe all over again, maybe for the first time, maybe we're saying, Jesus, I'm giving myself to you today. 
Give me a new way of thinking about this or that. Help me to be more loving in my responses. Jesus, help me to listen well. Help me to jump to fewer conclusions. Jesus, I want to be a part of this new thing that you are doing in the world. Despite the fact that the world at times feels out of control for us, it's not out of the control for Jesus. So let's give ourselves to him asking Jesus to lead us in this new thing, this work of renewal that he is at work doing in us and in the world around us. Let's give ourselves to him and allow him to help us navigate how do we engage the world that we live in. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for today and for the opportunity to worship together the opportunity to be in a relationship with one another, to hear your word and to hear you speak to us. Lord, we're grateful for who you are and for what you are doing in our lives and what you are doing in our families. And, and God, we ask that you would give us a, a, a hope, a hope, in, especially in those moments when life seems to be out of control, in those moments when perhaps we feel heartbroken at our circumstances or the circumstances of, of those that we love or the circumstances that we see playing out in the news cycle. Lord, would you give us a hope that things are not out of control for you, Lord, and that you are at work, that you are the one who brings good things, new things, out of things that seem old and useless. Lord Jesus, As we look to be a part of what you are doing, would you help us to learn these patterns of peace? That we would be people who, who know your love and, and your life so deeply and so intimately that it transforms who we are and that our relationships with others have a different flavor to them. Lord, help us to set aside those patterns of animosity that come so easily. Help us to set aside those grudges that we don't want to hold on to. Help us to, 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 to experience your healing of our hurts, Lord. And God, that we, as we engage our, our family, our friends, our coworkers this week, the people we go to school with, Lord, that you would give us the ability to be your peaceful presence in those moments. God, we're excited for what you are doing in our lives. Give us just a little glimpse of it, this, a little glimpse of what you are doing this week. In your name we pray, amen.